Hey, Soakers. Welcome to Bath and Body Parts. Last week, we told you about the murder of 28-year-old Dr. Andrew Bagby and his suspected murderer, Dr. Shirley Turner, and how she fled to Canada, where she had dual citizenship. We left off with his parents moving to Canada to fight for custody of their unborn grandchild, Andrew and Shirley's baby. July 18th, 2002, Zachary was born. David and Kathleen went to see him at the hospital, but Shirley did not allow them to come in. Now, of course, at this time, they still don't know officially this is Andrew's baby, but after the baby was born, they could do DNA testing, and DNA tests did confirm that he was Andrew's baby. So David and Kathleen filed for custody. This sparked a whole ongoing thing, right? Yes. You can't just get custody even if the mom is in prison and she's not in prison. So it makes it even more complicated. Yes. Yes. So they went to family court and had to negotiate with Shirley to have access to see Zachary. And they started with an hour per week. They had to go into these supervised visits. They had to... Shirley made it where they had to be searched upon arrival. But they were more than willing to do it. Yes. Kathleen's like, I would have stripped naked. I would have had no no issue with them searching me if I could spend time with that baby. And again, just this conflicting... I mean, can you imagine going into this and being so happy to see this baby? Your grandchild. And knowing that this is your grandchild. But also knowing that your grandchild is living yes. with the person... That murdered your son. Yeah. Oh, oof. The conflicting emotions of this case that David and Kathleen had to go through is unparalleled in my true crime research. Like, I've never read or experienced anything else like this. And it no. was so hard. And it gets, we're, we're going to get deeper into this, but yes. Oh, man. So they met Zachary when he was about a month old and. You know, the way that David and Kathleen talk about this in the documentary was a really happy day for them. And they were so loving and so happy to see this baby. Now, they wanted to get more time with Zachary. So they went back to court. And then Shirley tried to say that they had kept him beyond the hour time, which didn't make any sense because these were supervised. Yeah. In the courthouse visits, right. like, like, there's no... There's no going over time when there's a supervisor right there. Yeah, so yeah. that did not fly. But the legal proceedings in both the family court and in Shirley's actual case were still extremely slow. There was lots of back and forth, rescheduling, and her lawyer coming up with reasons to delay. Yes, like, I mean, the most random reasons to delay. Like, well, part of Section 535A stated that we weren't sure if it was interpreted correctly, blah, blah, blah. You know, all of this, like, red tape. And that's your job as a lawyer. Yes. So much, though. Like, so many small things to try and come up with a delay. But on December 14th, 2002, Shirley was finally sent to a women's correctional facility. And this left Zachary in the care of Kathleen and David. So this is Christmas time. 
And, you know, Zachary was just surrounded by love at this time because visitors were coming and dropping off presents and visiting with David and Kathleen and playing with Zachary. And it was just a beautiful, magical Christmas time. And, you know, during this time that he was with them while she was in the correctional facility, they would receive daily phone calls from the jail. These are recorded because they were calls from the jail. So we actually get to hear their interactions. And on one of these recorded calls, Shirley asks David and Kathleen if they were comfortable putting up a photo of her and Andrew in Zachary's room. I can't even. David replied... The audacity. Not yet. I mean, no! But they're trying to be respectful, right? At no point... Yes. It's important to note that Shirley had willingly surrendered custody to them at this point. So if she chose to revoke and fight, it would be a whole ordeal. They could end up... He could end up in the foster system. So they're trying to... They're trying to keep him with them. And to keep the peace. Yes. They have to be very civil with Shirley, which would be so hard to do. And they really wanted, you know, the lawyers to handle everything. But Shirley did speak with them each day and they would put Zachary on the phone and, you know, she would write them letters and talk to him and sing to him over the phone and things like that. And on the phone, Shirley said that she was amazed at how well David and Kathleen were taking care of Zachary. So it wasn't like she was saying that they were doing a bad job. She's on record saying that they were doing a good job. They would also bring Zachary up to the prison once a week for a visit. And it was a two-hour drive one way. And the weather conditions in Newfoundland were terrible. They had extremely harsh winter storms, but even during the winter storms, they would still make the drive. And a lot of people would not feel comfortable driving during this type of weather, but they would go every week, two hours one way. And again, like they had to sit there and see this visit. Yes. Oh, Uh, yeah. On January 10th, 2003, Shirley was released from the correctional facility. And so Kathleen and David had to give custody back to her. Now, the judge agreed to her release. And this is Judge Welsh. And she was released with the stipulation that she would not try to leave or break any laws or miss any further court appearances. And the judge also said, quote, there is no indication of a psychological disorder that would give concern about potential harm to the public generally, end quote. So essentially, here's a slap on the wrist. Be a good girl. Don't don't mess up. You're obviously totally fine and mentally well, and you don't pose a threat to society. So like, her argument here is that she's not a threat to the general public because mm-hmm. she only wanted to kill Andrew. Right. But what percentage of crimes are, you know, crimes of passion? Right. Or crimes of revenge? Like most right. murders? Right. And it's kind of mind-blowing to me that that's the argument they're going to make because, yes. okay, she killed this person because she was mad. So she was trying to break up with her. Right. Well, what happens when the next person tries to break up with her? Right. What happens when the next person makes her mad? That's not a reason to yep. release them. But according to Judge Welsh, it sure was. Like, <laughs> I have big problems with her. Like, just having a psychological disorder 
which, first of all, hard for me to believe that there were no signs of a psychological disorder. Right. But that's not the only litmus test for right. whether somebody should be no. retained in prison. Not at all. So I just, I just don't know about that. Because imagine if we followed that rule of, well, you've killed the person that you wanted to kill, which now makes you safe to everyone else, is essentially what they're saying. It's mind-blowing to me. And, and like, it just... Oh, gosh. Like, I... Yeah. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So this puts David and Kathleen in an unusual position. They still want visitation with Zachary. Yep. Shirley is open to this, but... You know, David told Shirley that it would not be best to meet unsupervised. So they had to go back to court and come up with a, a real official schedule, which is always the best way to go. Yes. I think. Oh, my gosh. So the schedule that they came up with was that David and Kathleen could see Zachary three to four hours a day, three times a week, with one overnight visit every two weeks. And, you know, anytime you're going to have custody discussions, Shirley's going to try and switch up the days yes. sometimes. Yes. And... Everything becomes really interesting at this point because what ends up happening is because of the schedule that they've agreed upon and because they're all in Zachary's life, the three adults were spending time together. They're all going to swim lessons. They're all going to the mall. And David and Kathleen are just saints to me at this point because they're willing to put aside all of their emotions for that baby to be in Zachary's life. Oh my gosh. And of course they probably think that Shirley is a dangerous person. So they're not going to just walk away from this. Right. Because this is their grandchild, but oh, the strength. Shirley even went to church with them and you know, the other, I think practitioners were, they were like overwhelmed by that. Okay. And David and Kathleen would buy anything that Shirley needed, you know, diapers, formula, whatever she needed for Zachary, they were there to provide. But as this all goes on, it's kind of clear that Zachary develops a stronger bond to Kathleen than to Shirley. And Shirley was really jealous of that. Yes. And Kathleen, you can see footage of her. She is one of those natural nurturers, very much so with her interactions with Zachary. And even in the footage, it just is different with Shirley than it is with Kathleen. Yes. Um, There's a lot of times where you see them put Zachary up. He's starting to walk and he walks toward Kathleen instead of Shirley. And, you know, that doesn't mean that he didn't love his mom. It doesn't mean that they're not bonded. He just, he, he had this connection with Kathleen. But Shirley really did not like that. And she also started to grow paranoid that they might be talking badly about her to Zachary or, you know, telling him the truth. Right. And also he's a he's a baby. He's very, yeah, he's little, little. Not like, that you not that you should like ever talk shit about your about someone to a baby, but like even if you did, he's a baby. But he's a baby. He's not taking that in. <laughs> he understands like mama. Yeah. Milk. Yeah. Water. <laughs> juice. Yeah. Yeah. So and not to say that obviously from a child development standpoint, it does matter what you say around kids because they do retain things and carry them on later. Yes. But to to think that he was that that they were influencing they were gonna poison him, him uh, yeah like they're gonna at this point yeah um is is a little bit on the paranoid yes. side for sure 
Now, around this time, Shirley also started dating somebody. And they did date for a little bit. But when he heard about her murder accusations, he obviously was freaked out and broke things off with her. Yep. Now, he said that when he broke up with her, she would call him constantly, leave threatening messages on the phone. She called him 200 times. And she said that she was pregnant with his baby, which was also oh my gosh. a lie. Are we seeing a pattern? Are we seeing a pattern mm-hmm. here? Like, oh my gosh. And in the meantime, her case is moving along. And on September 30th, the extradition hearing was scheduled. So this would have been Andrew's 30th birthday. And this is where they're going to see if she's going to be reincarcerated and sent back to the United States to be tried for the murder. If you'd like to support the podcast, get access to bonus content and extra mini true crime cases, plus get access to our exclusive Bath and Body Parts bath bombs, we'd love to have you join our Patreon as a soaker, super soaker, or bath bomber. Visit patreon.com slash bath and body parts to learn more. On August 18th, 2003, Kathleen and David came home to a note from the constable on their door. The 6 p.m. news showed a picture of Shirley and Zachary and stated that they were missing. Now, many of their friends immediately went over to be with David and Kathleen, and there were about two to three hours where nobody really knows what's happened. You know, has she taken him to another country? Right. Has they're, she, you know... They're missing, like... Has she, like, just smuggled him somewhere? Nobody really knows. And so a search was conducted on a nearby beach, and two bodies were found, one of an adult and one of a baby. Jacqueline and the constable came and told David and Kathleen that they had been found dead. And again, David is very vulnerable and open. And he talks about the rage, the immediate rage that he felt towards Shirley. They had to go and identify Zachary's body, which had not been through an autopsy yet. So that meant that they could not touch him. And this, of course, was very emotional for them. The beach where the bodies were found was close to the home of the man who Shirley had briefly dated. And she had left her car near his home with photos of her and Zachary and even a used tampon on the front seat to make it seem as though this man had murdered her and Zachary. The autopsies concluded that Shirley had taken her prescription lorazepam and also given some to Zachary. She strapped Zachary to her chest with a sweater and then jumped into the ocean. And the autopsy did show that Zachary was not conscious at the time. Zachary's memorial service was held on August 21st, 2003, and anywhere between 300 and 400 people showed up. And in the coffin with him, they placed a ball that he really liked. And that, like, you know, this one is tough for a lot of reasons. But like, just small details like that were really difficult. And David and Kathleen actually um, spread Zachary's ashes with Andrew's. And Kathleen emotionally retells that when Andrew was cremated... She did not accompany his body to the crematorium. So she and David went right up to the doors with Zachary. And that whole conversation is so hard (laughs) to watch and to talk about. And David also talks about how, you know, he used to think that he would just kill Shirley himself. And that even if he was caught 
at least Zachary would have the chance to grow up with Kate, which is what he calls Kathleen. And he said that he didn't do this because he trusted the government to do its job and keep Zachary safe. David and Kathleen wanted to hold a press conference to push for laws about keeping accused murderers off the streets, but their lawyer, Jacqueline, said they couldn't hold the press conference because there was still a press ban in place. But David said, fuck it, and they held the press conference anyway. While making the documentary, Dear Zachary, Kurt actually tried to interview several members of the Newfoundland justice system, but none of them agreed to give an interview on the case. And, you know, I was also so shocked that he was not able to get a hold of Dr. Doucette, the psychiatrist. (laughs) Kathleen talks about how before they moved to Newfoundland, they had had letters of recommendation written from work and friends and anybody to prove that they were good caretakers and that Zachary would be left in good hands with them. But she said that no one in the Family Services Department in Canada ever asked to see any of that. And David even goes so far as to say, like, they could have been criminals in California Mm -hmm. and the Canadian police and Canadian Family Services would have had no idea because they asked for nothing. Eight people had restraining orders against Shirley, most of them Andrew's friends and family. And she'd also been put on suicide watch while in the women's correctional facility. But nobody checked up on that when she was released. (sighs) Nobody was surveilling her. Nobody was monitoring her. Nobody was requiring her to go see a therapist or to check in. Nothing. Nothing. She was just like free to do whatever. And this is so frustrating. It is beyond devastating. David and Kathleen were really determined to use Zachary's death as a fuel for activism. They wanted to change this, and they did see some success. The passing of Bill C-464 in December of 2002, with the added clause that bail could be denied if it was deemed necessary for the protection of anyone under the age of 18. And like David and Kathleen were just action-oriented people from the beginning. They were both just very logical And so I really, truly admire the fact that they turned this into something that they could then use to help others in the future. Definitely. Dr. Doucette was found guilty of professional misconduct because of their activism. And I mean, again, (laughs) not shocked. Not shocked. And on October 4th, 2006, a death report for Zachary's murder came out. And there were two very important findings. Zachary's death was preventable, obviously, and that he was in his mother's care when he should not have been, obviously. Yep. But this really did fuel the conversation of legal changes. The report said that there was a serious lack of judgment from senior management of family services. Really? Like... Which, yeah. You know, and we, we talk about how a lot of people who are incarcerated are in there for minor offenses, right? Like smoking marijuana, you know, this type of situation. That's not what this is, right? Like this is an accused murderer who had no consequence from a legal standpoint. And that's where they're talking about like, should family members that are accused of a crime so serious like murder, should they be able to have custody of their children during their legal proceedings. 
that's an interesting conversation. It's not, you know, it's not all criminals should not have access to their children. Yeah, of course that's not. not. Of course you know. not. But a violent crime. Yeah. And because of this report and the activism that David and Kathleen really pushed for, an action plan was created to help children whose parents are accused of a violent crime. And in the documentary, one of Shirley's adult children, T.J. Shears, was interviewed, and he said that he wished that she had not killed his little brother. Just, just, <gasps> just heart-wrenching, the entire thing. Yes. I mean, it's, it's devastating. And David wrote a book called Dance with the Devil, A Memoir of Murder and Loss. It was released in 2007, and it became a national bestseller. Throughout the years of making the documentary, Dear Zachary, Kurt traveled all over the world. He went to England and St. Louis, and he interviewed all of these people who had known Andrew. Kathleen's family lives in England, and so he had cousins there. And like I said at the beginning, this wasn't just people talking about Andrew because he was gone and saying that he was this, you know, he lit up the room type of stuff. But really, there are people all over the world who loved this man who thought that he was a truly wonderful person. He was also a very gifted doctor. And there is someone that he, that Kurt interviews that said that Andrew had actually diagnosed her son with cancer and saved his life. Like he had an impact on everybody. And it's very, very evident in that documentary. And it's beautiful. It's very well made. Yeah, it's very, very, very endearing. And at the end of the film, Kurt talks directly to Zachary. And he said, you know, when you were killed, I almost gave up making this documentary. But then he said he realized now that the film was actually for David and Kathleen. And there's a segment at the end where many people who were interviewed talk about how David and Kathleen were substitute parents for them and that they still have a lot to live for. And by that point, the ending of the documentary is probably like the most beautiful wrap-up I could ever imagine for a situation like this. It's so... Like, it stabs you in the heart, you know, but it's also just like, oh, like you just, you feel it. You feel all of those things with Kurt. You feel all of those things with David and Kathleen. You feel like you get to know Andrew and you get all of this footage of Zachary. And it's so hard to describe, but if you are interested in watching it, do it, but go cautiously, go cautiously. And now I want to get into our thoughts on this case. So like I was saying, I don't think anybody with a reasonable mind would say that all people who are charged with a crime should not have access to their kids. No, not at all. For nonviolent crimes. For nonviolent crimes. There would be no reason. There's no reason. An accused murderer was released and given custody of her child because they had decided that she was not a harmful person anymore because she had already killed the person who she had set out to kill. I mean, how often do we hear about people who who have been bested for drugs and then they are not given their children back? Right. Because they have to prove right. that they can 
do better and provide a safe environment for their kids, which they should. They should have to establish that. They, they have to have to a job. Show. They have to have a place to live. They have to have all of these things. They are followed up on for minor yes. crimes like freaking marijuana. But in Canada, this woman was never followed up on. And she was on suicide watch in the prison. And like, why did no one think, huh, maybe she's a little bit like not in a great place to be caring for a child, a baby, 13 months old? Oh, <laughs> it just... But I, and I don't think it's... it's- you know, this happens in America too. Like yes, in, yes, in the United States, and yes, it, it kind of reminds me of the Hart case in some ways. Yes, where they had this ongoing patterns of abuse. Yep, and the children were taken out of homes where their moms had, you know, been on drugs. Yep, and then they're living with yeah abusers, and nobody's checking up on them. Nobody's looking. Yes, it's unreal. It's unreal, and for me. Newfoundland is small, right? Like you said, there's like 530,000 people at the time. There there should be resources to check on someone like Shirley Mm -hmm. to make sure that they are being safe, right? And there just wasn't. And that makes me so mad. (laughs) It makes me so mad. It was Zachary's murder was completely preventable. Yes. And he was a 13-month-old baby. Oh, yeah. So in in my notes, I said, Canada just needs to get it together. <laughs> like, just get it together, Canada. And it's not just Canada. I'm not just trying to like shit on Canada, but get it together, people, for real. Get it together, justice system. Get it together, for real. I want to talk about Kate and David. And we've talked about them through this episode. But wow. I am astounded by their strength. And you know, people say all the time, like, oh, you're so strong. Sometimes I feel like that word or like, oh, you're so brave. Or, you know, sometimes I feel like it loses its impact or its meaning. But I really do feel like David and Kathleen are some of the strongest people that I've experienced in my true crime world. And... It's not just that they took action after Zachary's murder. It's that they were civil. They were gracious. They were nurturing to not only their own child and grandchild, but to other children, to Andrew's friends, to their peers. They are very open, smart, wonderful people. And, you know, everybody talks about them in the documentary. Like, if I could even be half as kind as they are or half as nurturing, I would be good. And I just feel like they're they're exceptionally special people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, having a friend like Kurt who would create such a beautiful project for your son and for your parents, I feel like Kurt is an unsung hero. Like, it's just beautiful to preserve those memories. And even if the documentary hadn't become popular, even if it hadn't become mainstream, I feel like it would have served its purpose, you know? And I think that that was beautiful to see. It really is. 
it's so devastating to watch, but it is. It's yes. Worth and I, wa- watch. I watched it. And then two weeks later, I had to watch it again to like, to get my information, my facts straight, my research straight for this. And I, I had to watch it the second time in bits. Like I, I took it about 20 minutes at a time because I just could not watch it all together. Melanie did warn me that it was sad, but <laughs> I did not know how sad. Yes. And so I'm watching and I'm like, yeah, Melanie's right. This is really sad. And then I'm like, oh my God. Yes. <laughs> what have you done to me, Melanie? I know. I know. Because if you just look up the documentary, it's not very clear up front that it, there are going to be multiple murders like you I did not know you that think that, that, that it's happening. gonna be really focusing on Andrew and then you have this shift with Zachary and it is a punch in the gut for sure and that is our super sad case about Andrew Bagby and Zachary Turner and just I I have nothing left to say like it's just so hard So then we really need some self-care and prepare after this. <laughs> we really need it. And my self-care tip is let yourself have a good cry. And that is not to say that you need to watch this documentary to cry. But I feel like in general, when I have had a good cry, even if it's from a movie, I feel physically better. I feel like a sense of release. And so sometimes even Matthew will say like, I think I just need a good cry. Like you get to that point, right? So let yourself do it. It could be a song. It could be, I mean, for me, it could be anything. Um, Some of my most recent cries have been in the most ridiculous things like Sonic the Hedgehog (laughs) and Godzilla versus King Kong got me good. (laughs) Like just... Do what you can. I know crying is weird for some people. You know, I like I'm a crier, but I know some people aren't. So if crying is not your thing, find another source of like physical. It like really is like a physical release. And also just it feels good mentally and emotionally. And if you're like me, you'll feel very tired afterwards. <laughs> so like, it'll help. That's, I was like, I hate crying. I feel like it just depletes me yes, so much. It, I feel like so dehydrated and tired. Oh my after. gosh. Yes. I'm always like, I need to replenish all of my <laughs> like fluids. My goodness. <laughs> but it does release yes. very important expression of emotions, which is good. And my prepare tip, I couldn't really think of anything tied to this case specifically But I did think about how Andrew's friends just had a really bad first impression of Shirley. And so my prepare tip is just to not always write off your first impressions of people. And sometimes I'm pretty socially awkward when I meet someone for the first time. I'm super introverted. And so sometimes like I don't know what to say or... Like how I'm trying to gauge the situation of like how much information I want to give or, you know, so I might come off as like a little awkward, but as you get to know me, you find that I'm not that, I mean, I'm awkward, but I'm not that awkward. Right. And so that's different than my first impression of you is like, I'm getting that icky, like 
something's not right, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's the type of first impression that I'm talking about here. If someone gives you that ick feeling, maybe let me think about why that is. And, you know, that one is a little harder to let go of and go away. So just listen to what your first impressions are of people. Yes. And before we end, we have to shout out our newest patrons. Oh, yes. Okay, so we have two new patrons. We've got Akiko, Abe, and Arachne. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. We really, really appreciate all the support. Again, I know I say it all the time. We're not rolling in dough off of this podcast. We put so much time and effort into it. Blood, sweat, tears. Yep. And everything that is given on Patreon goes right back into the production of the podcast. So we really, really appreciate support. Thank you. You guys are awesome. Oh, and and I have seen that we've gotten some more ratings on Apple Podcasts. And also, I did not know this until my friend uh, Leah pointed it out. You can also give ratings on Spotify. On Spotify. This is new. So please just rate us. You know, it doesn't even take long. You don't have to leave a review, although we would appreciate you oh, leaving yes. a review if you want. Yes. But a simple little rating. Yeah. We really appreciate great. it. It helps people discover the podcast so that we can share and spread yes. the word of what we do. Thank you guys so much. All right, Soakers, we're going to leave it here for today. Tune in with us next week to hear another tale of true crime. Until then, self-care for the best, prepare for the worst, but most importantly, take care of yourself. We'll catch you next time on Bath and Body Parts. Bye! for some Bath and Body Parts merch? Snag your shirts, mugs, fanny packs, towels, and more at bathandbodypartspodcast.com slash merch. If you'd like to support the show and get access to VIP perks like ad-free content, early access to episodes, and extra episodes each month, along with special segments and exclusive merch, including the Bath and Body Parts Bath Bomb, you can become a soaker, super soaker, or bath bomber on our Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash bathandbodyparts to get started.